Hi, my name is Brooke Archer, a qualified clinical nutritionist and naturopath who's passionate about showing people how they can live their happiest and healthiest lives. Through my business Evolve Nutrition and Naturopathy, I've helped hundreds of women, men and children listen to their bodies and elevate their health. Join me and my expert guests as we share all there is to know to evolve your health and live your best life. So get comfortable and get ready to learn. This is the Evolved Health Podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm looking forward to today's topic. It might feel a little like I steer you sideways to begin with for the topic that I've chosen, but stick with me, okay? (laughs) Now, in my clinic, I see mostly women. As many of you might know, we as a sex tend to more easily ask for help with our health that or we just don't have the time to put up with the symptoms so we take action am I right and the majority of women I see have chosen to be mothers so they are my main clients but you might not know that I actually see all genders and quite a few children they are all different in their needs or complaints um, and the things that they want help with but even if the women who are mothers come to me for their own problems, they tend to end up talking about their kids as well. I mean, we all do it, right? (laughs) Our world can revolve around them. They affect how we feel and our health too. Anyone that's been through childbirth knows that you just aren't the same after. Often it's important for me to know if there is anything going on with my client's kids in order to help them. For most mums, it's also a big thing for them to take the time or to prioritise their health for just a second. They are generally putting everyone else first. I think it's that nurturing instinct. And it's like the safety instructions when you board a flight. You first need to put on your own life jacket before you can help anyone else with theirs. Yep, you've all heard it before, I know. I also have the mindset that if I don't understand or consider my client's family requirements, if the kids have allergies, if the child is waking them umpteen times in the night, if they're causing their parents stress, if they're kids play so many sports that their family is never home to sit down and eat dinner together if the child is neurodivergent which for those of you that don't use that term means that they may differ from what is considered normal and I hate that term but for what is considered normal in their mental functioning so they might have autism ADHD a mental health condition or disorder a learning difficulty, um, and many more things actually fall under that umbrella. But you know, all of these things and so many other aspects affect how my client, the mother or parent, is going to be able to implement healthy eating or lifestyle recommendations that I suggest. If I don't consider those things, they don't become doable. Often what ends up happening is that after seeing the mother, they will bring the kids in and then maybe even their partner sometimes too. (laughs) And I love helping whole families because families do become one unit. 
I mean, we share some of our gut microbiome with those that we dwell or live with. Not only have we inherited some, but we also share some in our day-to-day -day living habits. It's crazy, huh? But I really have digressed, haven't I? Um, okay. So why is all of this important? Well, because today's podcast is for the mums, or more specifically the parents, but it's not about them. I know it can feel like it never is, but this one's for the kids. Yep, today I want to talk about your child's gut health. What might be going on for your child? What signs you might be seeing but not aware of? What symptoms to look for and more? Because happy kids is a happy parent, right? <laughs> now, children can be much harder to read than mum or dad when they aren't feeling right. I mean, if you and I start to feel off, we can talk about it or try and explain how we're feeling in words or terms that we've heard before. We can advocate for our own health by getting medical help. Kids can't always do that. They might not know what's going on when they feel unwell. They may have never felt this way before. They might not have heard or understand the words or terms to describe how they are feeling before. When my son used to feel sick, his warning sign when he was about to vomit, aside from being as white as a ghost all of a sudden, was this long yawn. You'd know as soon as he did this yawn, he was about to vomit and you'd want to prepare yourself. <laughs> it didn't happen very often at all. So it was sometimes hard to pick up if you weren't paying attention to the signs beforehand. But as he was older, obviously, he was able to tell us if he felt nauseous or sick. When they are smaller, though, they might not try to tell you or they might try to tell you different things or not be able to vocalise it, I guess. And babies or young toddlers will only be able to cry. This can make taking care of kids feel like some cruel guessing game. How many times do you hear new parents wishing they knew what was wrong with their child or saying, if only they could talk? So today I wanted to talk about some of the things that you can keep an eye on with your kids and that might be a flag to get checked out if you're feeling concerned. I mean, let's face it. As a parent, you feel like you are just making a fuss about your kids. That maybe you're worried about nothing, but you have this gut feeling. Always listen to your gut feelings. You'd rather make a fuss or overreact, or overreact, sorry, as opposed to miss something. That's that's for sure. Now, when it comes to kids. Treatments or investigations related to issues with their gut or gastrointestinal health can be a little bit more general. I mean, no one wants to put a young child through the trauma of having a colonoscopy um, and going under anaesthetic or some of the investigative testing if they can help it. It's scary for the child and the parents. 
Heck, most kids that I meet aren't used to having their blood taken either, and that can be just as traumatic for some. So sometimes we, being the conventional medical and natural medicine practitioners, opt to trial treatment and see if we get enough results that way first. Think of the elimination diet. It's great to trial with kids as opposed to drawing blood and testing because we can make some small changes for big results without the scary testing potentially. The results might not be as conclusive, but some results can be enough for some families. So, you know, some improvements better than nothing. Okay, what are some of the things to consider or look out for then when you are considering if your children have poor or inhibited gut health? Firstly, we have to talk about poo. I often ask clients about their stools and if they have differing features, like changes in colour, if there's blood or mucus, um, and if they see undigested foods, all of those things. When I talk with kids, this information isn't accurate. The answers sound more like, no, no, ew, no. <laughs> you see, while kids have a general fascination about talking about poo or farts for the comical effect, they actually don't pay any attention when they go. It's usually a quick flush and their answer for me is no idea. I joke with them, well, now that I've talked about it, I guarantee you'll go home and look next time. It's the same thing I say to some adults too. But once your child is toilet trained, there's a whole lot of independence for them and no idea on these matters for you. And I don't want you to be asking to wipe your 10 year old's butt, <laughs> but the easiest thing here is to ask questions of your kids so they start to become aware and comfortable talking to you if they do notice anything. Or you might note some small things about their habits yourself. Things like if they are pooping regularly or is it only happening every few days? Do they take a long time on the toilet? Do they have urgency or accidents? If they say it hurts to poop, um, do they ever get an itchy bottom? Do they get diarrhea often? Is there undigested food in their poo? You know, pieces of corn, because that's a sign they aren't digesting it and breaking it down properly. Um, and all kids fart, but is your child's really, really offensive more often than not? The more you talk or normalise any of these topics, the more kids are going to have the tools to be able to describe if something isn't right. Another feature to keep an eye on, and excuse the pun here, is your child's eyes. <laughs> While they might be said to be the window into our soul, your kid's eyes can say so much more. You might notice if they are sick or get a fever, that their eyes can become glassy or yellowed slightly. Our eyes do change with our health. I see quite a few kids that have been found to have low iron 
or suspect they have low iron, or I suspect they have low iron, <laughs> as a result of poor absorption, which could be the result of things like medications that they might be on, their diet, food allergies or intolerances, uh, parasites, etc. There's lots of things. One way that you can see if your child possibly has lower iron is to look at the inside of their bottom eyelid. Ideally, this should be red and vibrant, but if it's paler pink in colour, then there could be some iron issues. It's a good indication to maybe get their levels checked, especially if they are often very tired or fatigued without another good reason. Now, I have seen kids with lovely red inner eyelids who still have low iron, but this has to do with how long it's been going on for and if it's circulating iron or stores. There's a lot to it. It's very common in kids with poor gut absorption though. I think iron tends to be one of our minerals that shows it's depleted quickly, symptomatically. The objective then is to look at why. As well as the eye, sorry, as well with the eye, what you might commonly see with kids who have food allergies or intolerances is those dark circles under the eyes. The child looks like they've had no sleep. As well as being dark under the eyes, it might also be slightly sunken. This is not something you notice they have, you know, after one late night. This is a physical sign that is there all the time for them, or again, more often than not. It can also possibly be present in parasitic infection too, but it's a good indicator to check if there are any foods that might be a trigger for them. I sort of see this one very commonly in kids with either celiac disease or gluten intolerance and dairy intolerance. They're very, very common. While I mention it, let's also talk about parasites. In kids, they can be very common. Once toilet trained, let's face it, kids can either be in a rush or not interested in wiping their bottom properly or washing their hands as thoroughly. <laughs> They are also generally around a heap of other kids doing the same things and parasites can take advantage of this. There's also the scenario that kids are up in the face of animals more too and this can be another way that they are passed around. Firstly, you might not notice the signs your kid has parasites. It can be harder than you think. Kids? Itch their bottoms. <laughs> you might still be in the process of teaching them that this isn't really the norm while, um, say, out shopping or visiting friends. <laughs> but with parasites, the itching will more often happen at night, not always, but more often, and can even be cyclic with the moon because parasites growing and breeding patterns are cyclic too. You can call me nuts, but trap it yourself and you'll see. There might also be some other symptoms that you haven't thought of that can be associated with parasites. Their appetite increases, and I know most kids can eat a lot. 
but this feels next level and they don't seem to put the weight on to match their food intake. So they might be skinnier even for all of the eating. They also want all the carb heavy or sugar loaded foods because that's what parasites feed on easily. I know, I know all kids want those things, but next level, remember. Your child might appear bloated, complain of a sore tummy from time to time as well. Then it goes away, maybe, and you think everything's fine. Then suddenly it's back again. So this is that cyclic behaviour, remember. Your child might also develop a rash or become quite anxious. The rash I tend to see more often than not might be on the torso or abdomen. Um, and I know that these ones are sort of general and feel general, but if your child has an opportunistic parasite that's utilising all of their good nutrients from their food and impacting their digestion, then deficiencies occur and these symptoms develop, plus others. Then there's a common issue for some kids, and that's eczema. Eczema isn't just that dry red rash that can crack and bleed when scratched. You can also get the form of eczema that is more like little clear blisters or groups or a group of these tiny blisters. Either way, eczema usually occurs around people's joints. It's not always. So areas like the inside of your child's elbows, behind their knees, in between fingers or on the knuckles, those are the sort of common areas. Now I am a big believer that what occurs on the skin is just an outward expression of what is going on internally. Eczema is a sign that the gut needs some work. It is not a condition that will just clear up by applying topical creams. Yes, they will give you some relief and help reduce it, especially if it's that dry red variety, but they won't fully clear it up. I'm sorry, they just won't. This is typically a sign that something is going on in the gut. It could be as simple as needing some really short-term gut work. It might be stress-related, but it's more likely to be a food or environmental trigger that affects the gut and instigates this response. Look at eczema as your flashing red light to pay attention to your child's insides too. On the topic of rashes, in smaller children, you can also see a red rash appear around the mouth and down to the chin of kids that have a salicylate sensitivity. Salicylates are found naturally in many healthy foods like berries, oranges, tomatoes, often the acidic foods, and also others. Like other food sensitivities, the body is unable to metabolise those natural food chemicals at the levels it's given and the saliva becomes very acidic. Particularly in infants or toddlers that drool more, the saliva irritates the skin, leaving it red and rash-like. 
there are other symptoms that they can experience too. Um, but headaches, I guess, is a common one in slightly older children, whether that's because they can vocalise that more or not. But you might also have them complaining about sore tummies um, and pains in their tummies, I think, is probably a common one too. More often than not, kids grow out of this one. Um, but not always, and some children can actually develop anaphylactic symptoms. But like all food allergies, intolerances and sensitivities, there's work to be done on their diets and their guts <laughs> to reduce or avoid the reaction altogether. The last one I want to mention that's a surefire sign your child's gut health needs some attention is their immunity. If you find yourself saying, my kid picks up every bug, whether it be colds, flus, gastro, sore throats, runny noses, whatever, then pay attention. You know the common saying that as soon as a child goes to daycare, they will catch everything? This isn't the case and shouldn't be the case with every kid. Of course, kids that are around other children are going to pick up more bugs than one wrapped up in cotton wool. Kids mostly don't have the same hygiene habits as I've mentioned than most adults do and they can be much more close contacts and spread germs easily. But there's catching a few of the bugs going around and then there's catching all of the bugs that are going around. You feel like your child just can't catch a break these kids' immunity is tired, overworked, and needs a holiday. <laughs> and where do you work on your immunity? Your body's ability to fight off these bugs or their ability to bounce back if they do pick up these bugs? It's in your gut. The gastrointestinal microbiome is responsible for regulating your immune health. This is where foreign bacteria meet your immune cells and start to do battle. If this is out of whack, imbalanced, then your little one's ability to fight off the bugs is significantly diminished. So look at if they are getting sick often, if they seem to take longer than say their siblings or friends to get over the, these bugs, even things like if they just constantly have a runny nose. And kids do get runny noses, don't get me wrong, but it's constantly. These all point to the gut and the need to feed it the right nutrients and support your most precious little people in feeling their best. Your child's mood, energy and temperament are also big indicators that something is going on internally. Think about when you feel off, frustrated or unwell, you might be inclined to snap or get more emotional or crabby with people. It's no different for your kids. They just have no social filter or less control over theirs. And if there was just one thing that I could tell all parents that they can do to improve their child's gut health, 
one thing that can help improve their absorption of good foods that they do eat, it's obviously to cut back on the sugar. Look for it hidden in their cereals, breads, milks, lunchbox snacks, uh, things like muesli bars and biscuits, um, on supposedly savoury items like crackers and chips. There's a lot of hidden sugar in the food that we are giving to our kids. Just reducing it can help to improve their gut health, the diversity of their gut flora, and starve off even those opportunistic parasites. That's not to say they have to say no to birthday parties and miss out, but look at it across the whole diet. Also, with food allergies and intolerances ever on the rise and where once it took time for them to become more evident, now they are obvious in younger and younger kids. Look at trigger foods that might be causing the symptoms for your little one. You could start with a food diary and note down what they eat and when symptoms occur to see any correlation between them. For many, our kids' health and happiness is our everything. Hopefully, this might help you see little signs that further investigation or help would be really uh, useful for. I hope you found this information I've shared helpful. Obviously, they are very generalised comments because without knowing your individual kid's story, I can't comment with specifics. But I wanted to give you some general ideas of things that you can look at that might be signs and symptoms your child is struggling and they can't actually tell you. If you felt this has ticked a few boxes for your child and you want to chat further with me about it, you can book a free discovery call to see if working with me is a good fit. You can also um, go and check out my website, which is brookarcher.com.au. That's where you can find the Work With Me tab and the free discovery call. Or you can also find me around the socials at Brook Archer Health. If you've got any questions, please leave a comment below as well. But our children's health is really important. And if we look after their health, then we we'll also have the time to look after our own health, which is just as important whether you're a parent or whether you're looking after your own parents. Um, and siblings and things too. Take care everyone and I will talk with you next time. You have been listening to the Evolved Health Podcast with your host Brooke Archer. You can find me on your socials at Evolved Nutrition or go to my website evolvenutrition.com.au to work with me, check out my programs, delicious recipes and so much more. Thanks for listening.